And you're listening to Pick Your Path. This month's episode is called Time Waits for Norman and was written by me. It is the penultimate episode of our first season. In it, you are a youth who has just returned home from the first year of college. A man, a watch, a mystery. Your neighbor has never been known for his punctuality until now. What's changed about him? Why do you want his watch? Is someone else after it too and for nefarious reasons? Our theme song was created by Christopher Wrigley, and you can commission jingles from his company, Bunhouse Jingles, at customjingles.net. Our fantastic logo was done by Wayne Jansen, and you can find more of his art at waynejansenart.com. Pick Your Path is narrated by Matt Hawley and produced and edited by Matt Benson. You can follow the show on Twitter at PickYourPod and find every episode on BenviewNetwork.com. This is an enhanced podcast, which means it is broken up into chapters. At the end of each chapter, you'll be presented with a choice. To pick that choice, simply skip to that chapter. In iTunes, the chapters control is under the control heading. The podcast's app on iOS devices like an iPhone will allow you to skip to any chapter. Tap on chapters and then choose a chapter. If you're an Android user, the VLC app allows you to skip to any chapter. In the VLC app, simply tap the options button, the three dots, tap the arrow next to go to chapter and select a chapter. Most other Android apps don't read chapters in an enhanced podcast file. An audiobook file will also be available for download at benviewnetwork.com audiobook. This is the Parent's Guide for Time Waits for Norman. If you're listening to this, then you don't mind a few spoilers to make sure that this episode is safe for your child to play. In several endings, you are killed or nearly killed by the villain, Miss Benedict, with her life-draining power. In another ending, Norman is subject to the same attack and is in the hospital with a coma. There are several references to a fictional book series about a supernatural teenager that is equivalent to Harry Potter. You also break into a house and steal things in several pathways. In one ending, you suffer a kind of breakdown where you have to talk to a psychiatrist. In another ending, you become a vigilante hero. Overall, this episode is pretty tame and keeps the spirit of Choose Your Own Adventure alive. Enjoy! Chapter 1 You sit up in your bed. The room is on fire. You look around to take stock of what's going on. You're in your parents' house, which seems unusual. And you've got to get out of this burning building. You could jump out of the window. You have this odd feeling like you'll be fine if you do. Maybe you could run fast through the flames and not be burnt if you just run downstairs and out the front door. To jump out the window, skip to chapter 2. To run downstairs, skip to chapter 3. Chapter 2. You run as fast as you can towards the window. Your feet are heavy like you're running through quicksand. 
A Schroeder figure appears to your right and hands you a small bag of anti-quicksand powder. You throw the powder at your feet and hit the window hard. You fall to the ground in slow motion. As you fall, you look over to your neighbor's house and notice many items displayed on their lawn. Somehow your eyes focus on a watch. It's an old timepiece with a panda in the middle of it displaying the time with its arms. In that moment, you hear a female voice speak to you. Find me. Protect me. You then hit the ground. Skip chapter 4. Chapter 3. You push past the flames in your room. They're hot, but move like heavy curtains. When you get downstairs, you find your mother and father sitting at the kitchen table with a person wearing a large hooded cloak. Eh, what's the matter, my boy? Your father asks. Yes, what's got a little girl running down the stairs? Your mother adds. I'm not... You yell at them before being cut off by the bonging of a clock. The hooded figure points to a small wristwatch hanging on the wall. It's an old timepiece with a panda in the middle of it, displaying the time with its arms. At that moment, you hear a female voice speak to you. Find me. Protect me. Skip to chapter 4. Chapter 4. You sit up in your bed. It was just a dream. Definitely one of your stranger ones. You look around and assess your current living situation. You're home from college for the summer, back in your old room. You look around at the posters that defined your high school years. Meister Shark, a kid's cartoon that you and your friends quoted incessantly, and Sam McChesterfield, supernatural teen who saved the world. You look out your window in the second story and see hustle and bustle in the street. That's right, it's the yearly neighborhood yard sale. Normally it's just neighbors bartering for each other's stuff, but every once in a while you find a true gem. You'll have to check it out. Honey, breakfast! Your mother calls. You dress and head downstairs. It's always so nice to have you home, dear. Your mother says. By the way, could you walk the dog this morning? I have to help your father with the yard sale, and we're going to want you to help clean up the backyard later today, too. You mumble agreement and sit down to your bacon and eggs. After finishing your breakfast, you realize if you walk the dog before checking out the cell, you might miss out on some early finds. But, if you walk the dog first, you might be able to get a better deal on items that your neighbors want to get rid of. Either way, you are definitely checking out the art cell. To go to the cell first, skip to chapter 5. To walk your dog first, skip to chapter 22. Chapter 5 You breeze out the front door so your parents don't notice you haven't walked the dog yet and decide to check out the cell outside of Norman and Beverly's house. They've lived in that house since you were in grade school. They bigger in the way that couples do after they've been married over two decades. With love. Hey, Beverly. You say cheerfully as you look over the various items on a card table. Hello, dear. I thought I saw you come home last week. How's college life? She asks. Oh, much more stressful than I realized. Especially my roommate who can't stop watching the stupid show. Ugh, Bainbridge County, more like Burnbraid County. 
You know, there's quite a few of the items for sale. Must have been Norman's. Why, I used to watch that show when I was younger. I'm surprised it's still around, she remarks. I think it's a reboot, you say. Where's Norman? Well, you know him, always late, except for the past few months. In all our years of marriage, I've never been more surprised to see him ready to go when I am. Maybe an old dog can change its spots. You chuckle at her combining of sayings, but stop suddenly when you spot a watch. It's almost like you can't look away from it. You reach out to touch it and feel something different about it. That's when you see the watch face. It's the Bivian Panda, with his arms as the minute and hour hands. It's the same watch from your dream. You almost say this to Beverly, but decide against it. How much for the watch? You ask. Oh, that old thing? You can have it. You know, Norman has no use for watches anyway. She laughs at her own joke, and you thank her. You do notice that the hands of the watch aren't moving. You slip it onto your wrist. Even though it doesn't work, you know it's time to walk your dog. Or you can take care of the artwork first. To walk your dog, skip to chapter 6. To do the artwork, skip to chapter 7. Chapter 6 You quickly head inside your house and call it your dog. Snooter! You named him after the dog that helped out the main character in your favorite book series from middle school, The Mysteries of Sam McChesterfield. You attach the leash and walk out past your neighbors. You walk Snooter around the block. You notice that there's a new neighbor on the side opposite of Norman and Beverly. You happen to be walking by as she's stepping out. She has long brown hair and is probably older than you, but younger than your mother. You notice her looking out at all of the art cells. She then looks down at an object in her hands. Then she looks very severely at you. Her glance makes you uncomfortable, so you look away and keep walking Snooter. About halfway around the block, you get the feeling that you are being followed. You chance to look over your shoulder and notice that the new neighbor is about ten yards behind you. Snooter chooses his time to do his business. While he's preoccupied, you can only stand and wait. You notice that the new neighbor is now approaching you. You get the weird feeling that she isn't very nice. In fact, something in your gut is telling you to run. You could just grab Snooter and hightail it out of there, or you can react like a reasonable person and greet your new neighbor. To grab Snooter and run, skip to chapter 10. To greet the woman, skip to chapter 11. Chapter 7 You go into the backyard to sweep up all the leaves. In this neighborhood, all the backyards are separated by fences that are tall enough for privacy, but you know when your neighbors are back there. As you're sweeping, you hear Norman enter his backyard. Howdy, neighbor! You shout. Norman comes over to the fence. Hey, kiddo! He seems hesitant to ask you something. You know, Bev told me that she gave you a watch... Now, I know it seems silly, but I really did not want that watch to be sold today. I don't know how it ended up in the sale, but Bev didn't know, and I'd really appreciate it if you gave it back to me. It is up to you, though, since she gave it to you. I don't know what attracted you to the watch. I'd be willing to give you another one if you like. 
It does seem a little silly that you thought this watch was special because you saw it in a dream. You could easily just have imagined it was the one in your dream. Or you could explain this to Norman as your reason for keeping the watch. To give the watch back, skip to chapter 8. To keep the watch and explain your dream, skip to chapter 9. Chapter 8 You hand the watch over the fence to Norman and he takes it with a smile. Oh, I'm so glad you handed it over. I know you wouldn't understand what this means to me, but this watch has really been a help over the past few months. Norman says. You just nod and smile. If an old man wants to have his keepsake watch, why stop him? Norman slips the watch onto his wrist and smiles. Then you see his smile fade and he says, Oh no, not again. You sit up in your bed. It was just a dream. Definitely one of your stranger ones. You look around and assess your current living situation. You're home from college for the summer, back in your old room. You look around at the posters that defined your high school years. Meister Shark, a kid's cartoon that you and your friends quoted incessantly. And Sam McChesterfield, supernatural team who saved the world. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter one. Chapter 9 I'd actually like to keep it, you say. You then explain your dream to Norman. He nods knowingly. Then it's yours to keep. It was a dream that led me to remember that I even had this watch. Then I discovered the powers it has, Norman says cryptically. Powers? you ask. Well, I think so. I stopped being late to places. I think the watch controls time. As Norman speaks, a hooded figure appears beside you. Well, there she is. Thank you, Norman. A woman's voice speaks. Then you suddenly understand what the watch is and who the hooded figure is. Time must manifest in a physical object to keep order in the world. You have been chosen as a guardian to this object. You must protect it from those who would use it for evil. You understand all this through a mind link with the spirit of time. Wow. You say. Norman leaves you and you begin your life as a guardian. The rest of the summer, you occasionally get the feeling that you are being watched or someone is following you. Whenever it seems needed, time stops for you or slows down or speeds up. You find this all very useful and bizarre. It's like you're a character in a Sam McChesterfield novel. You go back to school in the fall, but can never shake the feeling of a shadow right behind you. Eventually, you assume, someone with ill intent will come for the watch, but for now, it's safe. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 10 as nonchalantly as possible, you pick up your small dog and make a break for it. You hope that you hit the corner before she can catch up. You glance behind you and notice the woman speed up and bump into some people. As she pushes them out of the way, you notice the man she touches passes out and hits the ground. You go around the corner and hide behind a fence momentarily. She has another object of power. A female voice says in your mind. 
Who's there? You ask. Quiet. She still might be out there. The voice speaks again. Your mind is filled with images and knowledge. You understand that the watch you're wearing is tied to the power of time. People are chosen to protect these objects to stop others from abusing the powers they can grant. Now you understand why that man collapsed. Another object is granting her power. Time reveals to you that it is her necklace, that it is an object that harnesses chi, a kind of life force. She must be using the necklace to remove chi from others. It was meant to heal by giving chi, the voice explains. You've got to get the necklace. I can help somewhat. Time can be stopped, briefly, and you can grab the necklace off her neck. Or, you realize, you can try and reverse time to when the woman first got the necklace and get it before her. To stop time and grab the necklace, skip to chapter 12. To go back to when she got the necklace, skip to chapter 13. Chapter 11 Hi there! You say with as friendly a tone as possible. The woman looks a bit shocked, then returns with a cautious wave. You must be the new neighbor. What's your name? You ask. You may call me Miss Benedict. She answers curtly. You expect a question from her or some follow-up, but none comes. Well... You start. Her expression is blank. Perhaps a bit pained. You continue. I'm just home for the summer. I go to college upstate. What do you do? I... She stops. I am a collector of rare items. She does not elaborate. Like antiques or just one specific type like Thirsty Cola? You recall that your grandmother had an old Thirsty Cola sign that hung in the original Pearl Peninsula boardwalk. Uh, not quite. She begins to nervously fiddle with her necklace. The items I want have a very special significance. In fact, I think you have one such item. It dawns on you that she could mean the watch. It must be 30 years old, at least. You remember seeing a similar watch with Maestro Shark instead of the BVN Panda? Oh, uh, you mean the watch? You hold up your wrist. Her eyes light up. Yes. May I see it closer? You nod. She reaches out to touch the watch face and then stops. You find it odd how long she is holding her hand out to touch the watch when you notice she is completely still. You look at your dog and notice he is motionless too, in mid-step. Something moving catches your eye. It's a cloaked figure and it's beckoning toward you. This is absolutely unreal and reminds you of the time Sam McChesterfield stepped on a tempora crack and fell out of time. To approach the cloaked figure, skip to chapter 16. To wait for everyone to unstick, skip to chapter 17. Chapter 12 Time understands what you want, and everything in the world comes to a standstill, except for you. You come out from behind the fence and see the woman standing on the corner. You approach her cautiously, only because the situation is so strange. Her face is strained, stuck in mid-panic. 
You reach out and pull the necklace from her neck. Hurry! Time shouts in your ear. Before you can turn and run away again, time resumes. The woman sees you and reaches out to strike. You grab her arm and she drops out cold. You've accidentally used the necklace against her. You can't tell if she is breathing as she lies on the ground. Sorry! You mumble as you run off. You couldn't explain this to the police or the paramedics, and she seemed quite willing to kill you if she had to. But you never feel right about just leaving her there. Once you return home, you understand that your new role is to guard the watch and any other objects of power that you come across. You search the woman's house that night to make sure she didn't have any other objects. You find that her basement is filled with all kinds of knickknacks. You test everyone and find a few that have powers. You take these with you. When you return to your dorm in the fall, it's with a new sense of purpose. If anyone comes after you, you can take them. You've been chosen to guard these items and will defeat anyone in your way. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 13 Time understands what you want, but warns you it is dangerous. You insist on going back to the very moment that woman got her necklace. You feel the pit of your stomach drop and the world go dark. When the light returns, you feel as if you just experienced an earthquake. You look and see a large house nearby. You're standing in the front yard. You hear some voices coming from the backyard. As you creep around the house, you look up to see it's three stories tall and covered in ivy. You come to a corner and look around to see a group of 20 or so people gathering for a group picture. Their backs are to you, so you aren't noticed. This is 16 years ago. Time explains. It's 1999? You exclaim before covering your mouth. You hear the large group stop chattering. Is someone there? An erudite woman's voice calls out. You really wish you just kept your mouth shut. Sam McChesterfield would be able to use his hood of forgetting on the crowd to make them forget he was ever there. You don't have one of those, so you've got to think fast and improvise. You could pretend to be a part of the group, or you could keep quiet and scurry away. To join the group, skip to chapter 14. To scurry away, skip to chapter 15. Chapter 14. You stand up and announce your presence. Uh, yes, I thought I'd miss the picture. Where should I stand? Before anyone can object, the photographer has placed you to the side of the group. You notice it's a group of about 20 men and women. The youngest of the group looks to be about 16. A tall girl with long dark hair. She's standing between what appears to be her parents. You feel a bit embarrassed since you are not nearly as well dressed as those around you. After a few pictures, the photographer is done and the group mills about. You notice the parents speaking to the 16-year-old. Now, we were waiting until your birthday to give you this, but if we sink, you're ready now. The father presents a small box from his jacket pocket. The girl delightedly opens it and smiles with glee. We've kept it safe all these years, and now it is your turn, as you're an official member of the Protectors of Power. The mother says, she then takes a small necklace out of the box and motions for her daughter to turn around so she can put it on her. 
Notice the necklace is the one you're looking for. You'd never forget that eye pendant. You shuffle your way over to a small group and grab the necklace from the mother's hands. How dare you! The mother shouts. The father lunges for you. You jump back and run towards the big house. Any time now, time. You mumble. This was too far to travel. I'm having difficulty getting you back. Your voice sounds as if it's fading. You manage to hide out for a few hours, but you never hear Time's voice again. Maybe Time was never meant to be used like this. You're no expert in time travel, but you could guess that stealing the necklace before the woman ever got it could have some ramifications. It looks like you're going to have to live out the rest of your life from here in 1999. You wonder if there's anything good on TV. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 15 You keep low and run the opposite direction of the group. You run right into someone and knock them over. Oh, I'm sorry. You mumble and help the man up. You recognize him as T.B. Firthun, the author of the Sam McChesterfield novels. Oh, quite all right. Just keep an eye out next time. He speaks with a mature British accent. What are you doing here? You blur out. Well, this is a meeting, right? The protectors of power? Oh, I've been invited in a sense. I can't do what they do, but they thought it'd be fun to have an author chronicle their adventures. I was inspired differently, though. Are you familiar with my book? He asks. Sam McChesterfield is a huge inspiration to me, you reply. Really? Well, I thought I wouldn't have a fan as old as you. He looks you up and down. You're not really dressed for this event. Are you one of the staff? He asks. Uh, no, I mean, yes. I should get back to work. You go your separate ways. Still in shock after this chance meeting, you realize the world around you is fading. Slowly, everything fades back into the world you know. You're back hiding behind the fence. You fail to grab the necklace. You should try the other tactic. Skip to chapter 12. Chapter 16 You pick up your dog and walk towards the hooded figure. Stay away from that woman. A female voice speaks in your head. It's the hooded figure from your dream. The one who told you to find me. Protect me. What's happening? You ask aloud. You reach the figure and your head is filled with images and understanding washes over you. Your time? You blurt out. Yes. The voice is still in your head, and you've got to be careful now. She knows you have me. You understand now that time is tied to this watch, as are other beings of power to other objects. People are chosen to protect the objects to keep the powers in order. People like Miss Benedict are trying to find the objects and force them to do their bidding. You and time are walking back to your house, I can only help in small amounts, and only when you are in a dire situation. Good luck. The hooded figure vanishes and time resumes at its normal pace. Your dog barks confusedly and you take him back inside. 
You have to make sure Miss Benedict never finds out where you live or who you are. She finds out who you are, there's no telling what she'd do to your family to get the watch back. You could try and stay inside for the rest of the summer. Or you could leave tonight, pack your bag, and hit the road. Either way, you've got to do something to protect your family. To hide in the house for the rest of the summer, skip to chapter 18. To leave tonight, skip to chapter 19. Chapter 17 You stand still and wait for everything to go back to normal. In the moment that time returns, you hear a female voice in your head say, Guard us. Miss Benedict then touches the watch. She looks shocked. Somehow she knew the time had stopped. How did you do that? She demands. I honestly don't know, you stammer. She suddenly reaches out and grabs your arm. You notice her other hand is on her necklace. You feel weak. You can't even stand. Maybe you'll never get up ever again. Somehow she drained all of your energy. You feel her remove the watch from your wrist. You aren't even able to turn your head and watch her leave. Now that you've seen the powers of the watch, you're certain that it is a mistake for her to have it. By the time someone finds you and you regain your energy to even speak, it'll be too late. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter 1. Chapter 18 The rest of your summer is spent on edge. You never take off the BVN Panda Watch for fear that Miss Benedict is just waiting for you to slip up. You keep an eye on the house next door, but see no evidence that she has moved away. Your parents think it's very strange that you don't want to hang out with your old friends or go to the pool like you used to in the summer's past. They manage to arrange for a therapist to come by and check on you. This alarms you at first, but you speak to the doctor. Your parents tell me you've been feeling withdrawn, that it's like you're afraid to go outside. Do you want to talk about that? The older man asks. I think it's just safer in here, you say. The man notices your watch. This concerns you. Oh my, is that a BVN watch? He asks. Yes, and it's mine. What do you know? You blurt out. You didn't realize how wound up you were about keeping the watch safe. The doctor looks shocked, then writes something in his notepad. You begin seeing him every week until the end of the summer. You begin to realize that this great power wasn't mean to be hidden or hoarded, and that you must shoulder the responsibility of protecting it and living a good life. When you leave your parents' house, you find that the house next door is empty. Miss Benedict must have moved without you noticing. You plan to see the therapist more and look forward to a return of school life. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 19. You've got to take action. That night, you pack up a small bag and leave a note asking for your family not to look for you. You make sure to leave under the cover of darkness. You don't know where you'll go, but maybe you'll be able to make use of the watch for good. You decide that you can be a fugitive, but also a vigilante hero. Maybe that's why you were supposed to have the watch, because you'd finally use it to fight crime. You find a cheap place to stay and buy some black clothing and a ski mask to hide your identity while you're fighting crime. 
You find the first crime. A man stealing a woman's purse. You don't know if this will work, but you trust time to help you when you need it. Hey, you, stop right there. You shout. As you run towards him, you notice he did stop. In mid-step. You take the purse back from him and use a small length of rope to tie him up. You hang the purse back on the woman's arm and dart off into the night. Time resumes and no one even knows you were there. Within a year, you've gotten the hang of starting and stopping time. You want to start working on reversing it or moving forward. You've tried asking time, but you think she doesn't approve of this lifestyle. If that's the case, then it's too bad she chose you as a new guardian of time. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter 1. Chapter 20 Miss Benedict is in jail, and you're now a rightful guardian of the spirit of time. You look at your watch with glee and wonder. A few weeks later, you receive a phone call from Beverly. I didn't know what to do, so I called you. Norman is in some kind of trouble. I bought you a one-way ticket onto where we are. Please come help. Beverly was light on details, but with your newfound power, you're sure you can help. Somehow. You take the flight that night and find it's going to Hawaii. When you land in Honolulu, you find you're chartered to take a boat. When you come up to the small island, it doesn't have a dock. You see a small hut on the beach shore and point the skipper over. You jump out of the boat while it's still in the surf. You wade up to the shore and are greeted by Beverly coming out of the hut. Where's Norman? You ask. He's here. She points all around. Where? You're confused. She definitely didn't point in any one direction. That's the trouble. He's, he's everywhere. She seems to be almost in tears. I really don't understand. Has he been kidnapped? No! She shouts. Norman is an island. Norman is an island? Good thing you're here to help. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter 1. Hey, wait a minute. You're not supposed to be here. This is... this is a secret area. Well, I mean, since you stumbled across it, I guess... I guess I should share something with you. <laughs> Hi, David King here, and I'm going to go ahead and read you a little preview of the next story coming up in Pick Your Path. And it is called The Secret of Mulligan Cove. So I'm going to share for you a little bit of the first chapter. So, without further ado... Chapter 1. That train trip took forever. At least it's what it feels like as you step out onto the platform and breathe in the briny afternoon air. The view from most of the ride had been endless expanses of woodland swooping past, with hardly a break in the trees for the last hour. You stretch your legs and bounce around, trying to get feeling back in them after all the sitting. Those compartments were cramped. 
You can't complain too much, though. You've come to the seaside town of Mulligan Cove for their annual Tall Ship Festival. As the new event coordinator, you've been hired to make sure everything at the festival goes, well, shipshape. It sounds daunting, and you don't know the first thing about ships, but this is your first big hire since graduating from college, and you want to make a good impression, especially since the festival committee is covering all your traveling expenses. You did take some time to read about the town on the way out, and looking out past the old-fashioned train station, you can see that it matches the idea of a studied New England town to the letter. Many of the buildings look like they date back to the early 1900s, at least, and plenty of them sport some sort of nautical decoration on the outside. There's an abundance of pirate flags flying, no doubt in anticipation for the weekend's tourists. Kids love pirate stuff. The only thing you don't see right away is some sort of directory. You already have a room set up at the Black Crow Inn, but who knows where that is? With a sigh, you set your suitcase down and get the manila folder tucked under your arm that contains all the festival info. You rifle through its contents, finding the town map by its faux-aged weathered appearance. You chuckle as you scan it. They really are trying to sell their meager history of smuggling and piracy. What happens next? You decide. Thanks for reading. Oh, and please buy my book from PeterChimera.com. I am poor. Chapter 22 Snooter, you call out to your dog. You named him after the dog in your favorite book series from middle school, The Mysteries of Sam McChesterfield. You take him past your parents, bartering in the front yard. Dear, I didn't want to get rid of this Blurry Braids album, you hear your father say. Seriously, you don't even have a working record player, your mother says. Snooter takes his time finding a place to do his business. You take him around the block and he finally stops. You clean up after him and head back home. It's still too early to catch the end of sale deals. You could do your chores in the backyard first to get those out of the way, or you could check out the sales now. To do your yard work now, skip to chapter 23. To check the sales now, skip to chapter 24. Chapter 23 Your mom wants you to rake up all the leaves in the backyard and clean out the grill. Since it's summer, eventually your dad will try his hand at barbecuing. Each of the houses in the neighborhood have a small backyard that is separated from the others by a wooden fence. The fences are high enough that you have privacy, but you can still tell if your neighbors are back there. You pull on the gardening gloves and get to work with the rake. From next door, you hear the back door slam. The sound comes from Norman and Beverly's house. They've lived next door to you since you were in grade school. You hear Norman grumbling and pacing in his backyard. Then you hear him talking very distinctly, but softly to someone. Come on, you always seem to appear when I'm alone. You've got to tell me what to do. I know I screwed up, but I can get the watch back. He seems to be pleading. You look over the fence carefully and see no one there. You turn back to your yard work and see a hooded figure standing across your yard. The words, find me, protect me, enter and leave your mind as if spoken only to you. You remember these as the words from your dream. And Norman was talking about a watch, which was also in your dream. 
The hooded figure fades away and you are left alone again. This means something. You could try talking to Norman. Something strange seems to be happening to him as well. Or you could investigate the spot where the hooded figure was standing. There could be a clue. To talk to Norman, skip to chapter 25. To investigate the spot where the hooded figure stood, skip to chapter 26. Chapter 24 You'll have plenty of time later to do your chores. You go next door to check out Beverly and Norman's yard sale. They've been living next door since you were in grade school and were the neighborhood's older couple. When you walk up, a woman in a brown trench coat is checking out the display of wares. You wave to Beverly. Hello, dear, she says. How's college treating you? Before you can answer, the woman in the trench coat asks... How much for this watch? Oh, oh, I don't know. How about $15? Beverly offers as she picks up the watch. The woman removes a wallet from her purse to pay. It's at this point that you actually notice that the watch has the trademarked BVN panda on the face, with his arms as the minute and hour hands. You mind reels for a moment as you recognize this as the watch from your dream. Beverly hands the watch over and takes the woman's money. She gives a knowing nod and walks down the block at a quick pace. You notice she enters the house on the other side of yours. She must be a new neighbor. When did she move into the neighborhood? You ask Beverly. Oh, a few months ago. She's some kind of reporter, I think. Said her name is Miss Benedict. She was asking a lot of questions when she first moved in. Then she was gone for a week. In fact, this was the first time I've seen her outside in a few days. Norman's voice cries out from inside the house. Beverly, where's my watch? The one with the panda. He exits the front door, wearing a robe over his pajamas. Norman, I never realized how much you liked that watch. It doesn't even have batteries. Beverly looks at Norman accusingly. And I just made a deal with Miss Benedict for the watch. Norman turns away from his wife. Uh, sorry, hey kid, how's it going? You think that maybe you should mention your dream to Norman? He clearly has some strange attachment to this watch. It could mean something to him. Can we talk inside for a minute, Norman? You ask. Sure, come on in. He leads the way and you settle into an armchair in the living room. Norman sits opposite of you. Now, normally my dreams are extremely boring, but I thought you'd be interested in the one I had last night. Norman motions for you to continue. I can't recall all the details, but one part stands out to me very clearly. Your watch. I'd never seen it before the sale, but there it was in my dream. And then that woman bought it. I almost felt protective, Norman asks. Well, I shouldn't be surprised. I forgot I had the watch until I had a dream too. If I'm right, then I can trust you with the strange things that I've seen in the past few weeks. Or maybe it's been months by now. I, I still can't keep track of time, even with, well, let me explain. You're very intrigued, but just as confused. For some reason, that watch allowed me to control time. Your eyes widen. Like a time machine? No, not, not exactly. 
Norman continues. When I'm running late, I always end up where I'm going on time. You've lived next door for most of your life. I'm sure you've noticed I've always been in a hurry. Well, not since that dream, as long as I wore the watch. I don't know what made Beverly put it in the sale. She must have not noticed I've been wearing it recently. Well, what are we going to do now? You ask. Well, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that woman has good intentions with that watch. I think it was somehow chosen to keep it safe, and if you had a dream about it too, then maybe you were meant to have it next. M meant to have it? What do you mean? Is someone controlling the watch? You ask. Maybe, or maybe the watch is controlling them. After I put the watch on, I started to see a hood figure sometimes. Sometimes she says something to me and disappear. You know, I think she's time. You know how we always say father time? I think we got it wrong and she's mother time. This sounds like something absolutely insane. It reminds you of the time that Sam McChesterfield had to save the sun god Ra from his nemesis Crockcork. Norman, what should I do? I'll tell you whatever I know about the watch if you're willing to try and get it back. I know this sounds crazy, so if you'd rather tap out now, I don't blame you. All you need to do is go over there and get the watch back. You could help out Norman and the hooded figure. If Norman is right, you're the next protector of the watch. Or this could be the ramblings of a sad old man. You probably should get home and finish your chores. To offer to help Norman, skip to chapter 28. To forget the whole thing and go finish your chores, skip to chapter 27. Chapter 25 Hey Norman, you call over the fence. He looks over at you, his face in a panic. Oh, uh, hey there, kiddo. He covers his worried tone. I thought you were back for the summer. Yeah, I am. You abruptly change topics. I know this may sound strange, but I heard you talking over there and I think I should tell you something. You describe your dream and the hooded figure you just saw. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Maybe you were supposed to have the watch next. He says with awe. Uh, supposed to? You ask. I think the watch is tied to the figure, and whoever has the watch can keep the figure safe. Based on what's happened to me when I had the watch, this one is Mother Time. He says. Mother Time? Norman has always been a straight shooter. But now he's talking in riddles. Yeah, you know, like Father Time, except this one is a lady. She's that hooded figure. She only appeared to me because I had the watch. If you could see her, the watch was meant for you. In the wrong hands, well, I, I don't want to think about what someone can do with it. They could almost control all of time. Norman looks at you poignantly. I know this sounds strange, but you have to get the watch back. Bev sold it to your neighbor over there. Her name is Miss Benedict. Never got her first name. She only moved here a few months ago, and I never liked the look of her. This all sounds like an adventure for Sam McChesterfield. Except that, unlike you, Sam was trained for this kind of thing. But you have something better. You know all of Sam's training, and what Sam does to beat the evil guys. You've got to get the watch back and save all of time. Skip to chapter 28.
Chapter 26 You walk over to where the figure disappeared. There aren't even footprints or a disturbance in the leaves on the side of the yard. You notice that your other neighbors, the McRowleys, have moved out. If anyone is living in the house now, they have nothing going on in the backyard. Then you notice a woman in a pantsuit walk out of the back door and approach the basement doors embedded in the ground. She removes a lock and descends the stairs, closing the doors behind her. You then see the hooded figure in the backyard pointing after the woman. The figure disappears again. You're not sure what this figure is, but it's definitely from your dream. Find me. That could be referring to the watch. Why would the watch need protection? Maybe the woman stole the watch. But why is the watch important? It seems the only way you'll get answers is if you hop the fence and enter that basement. Or you can go about your day and pretend like this isn't happening to you. Like you aren't being chosen to go on an important journey or something. To hop the fence and go to the basement, skip to chapter 30. To ignore everything and have a normal day, skip to chapter 27. Chapter 27 You finish sweeping the yard and scrubbing down the grill. You find it surprisingly easy just to forget your weird dream, or whatever Norman was mumbling about, or that clearly magical hooded figure who was appearing and disappearing. Although you enjoy reading about the supernatural adventures of Sam McChesterfield, you clearly don't want to live one. You finish out the summer at home and return to school in the fall. When you get back to your dorm, a group is huddled around a computer screen. An attack has been launched against America. Although initial reports denied it, a group has claimed responsibility. The damage being done is catastrophic, precise, and impossible. Government officials are calling the military technology being used by the enemy as decades ahead of America's. Then the feet cuts, and a single woman is on screen. It's the woman you saw next door all those months ago. You shall obey me now. If you do not, you shall suffer the consequences. I will be worshipped for the power I wield. Fear me, the woman intones. The U.S. government fights back at first, and then, when it can't fight anymore, begins to ask for help from other countries. As soon as America falls, countries around the world divide into camps that either join the woman or fight her. The war itself is bigger than all wars before it. You can't help but wonder if you could have stopped this all that time ago. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 28 Maybe Miss Benedict doesn't know what the watch does. If you can talk to her, maybe you can convince her to sell it to you. Sixteen dollars sounds about right. You approach the old house. There's a knocker. It's a braying horse, and with a horseshoe underneath it. You don't remember this being here when the McRawleys lived next door. You raise and lower the horseshoe three times. A voice from inside responds, No solicitors. Oh, um, I'm not selling anything. You respond. I'm here about something you bought at the yard sale. You hear silence in response. Then the door opens. Miss Benedict is a tall woman. 
You'd guess her to be older than you, but younger than your mom. She has dark hair and dark eyes. Yes? She asks. I'm sorry, miss, but I was talking to my neighbor and he told me that you bought a watch from him today. Now, I know you may not care, but I had my eye on that watch and I was hoping to buy it from him. Since you got there first, I'd like to ask if I could buy it from you. You hope your intentions seem earnest. You feel as if she's staring into your soul. Come in, please. She reaches up to touch her necklace as you pass by and enter the living room. She gestures that you sit in a wooden chair. Would you like something to drink? You accept and she returns from the kitchen with two coffee cups. She sits in silence looking at you between sips. I'm not sure how much you were expecting for the watch. You begin to explain. She cuts you off. Oh, never mind the money now. Before we talk numbers, I want to know why you want that watch. She sets the cup down and holds her hands on her lap. Well, uh, I'm a big B fan of BVN. I'd heard that this watch was is uh, part of a set, and I've already gotten some of the others. You lie quickly. Sure, you like Master Shard, but BVN has had some strange shows over the years. Hmm. She replies. I don't think you're telling the truth. Most people who seek this watch are after it for another reason. I've had to deal with a few of them before, and none of them were honest with me. I'll give you another shot. And if I don't like what I hear, you will leave. If you tell Miss Benedict about your dream, skip to chapter 33. If you lie again, skip to chapter 34. Chapter 29 I'm sorry, Norman. I just don't think I'm up to it. You return home and finish your chores. As the summer goes on, you reread all of Sam McChesterfield's adventures. You are filled with glee as Sam battles the dragon and cry again when the dragon reveals itself to be Sam's uncle under a spell from Crockwork. You recoil in horror as Sam is tested by the three-eyed troll in the Basin of Bones. You relive all the grand adventures that Sam had, and you never will. Maybe someday you'll regret not seeing if your dream had any meaning. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 30 You hop over the fence, still doubting your motives. Any way you try to explain this ends with you in jail, sounding like an insane person. You open the basement door quietly and sneak inside. It's dark, but you see the door at the bottom and the light leaking out of its edges. When you reach that door, you open it just a crack to peek inside. The woman is nowhere to be seen, but the room is larger than you'd expected and has two other doors you can see. You quickly enter and crouch behind a table. You glance around and recognize that the place is some kind of laboratory. The hooded figure appears briefly outside a brown wooden door and points at it. Wait! You croak out just as the figure disappears. You take that to mean that the woman is inside there. 
You should search this place for the watch, or any other clues. Or you can get the drop on the woman and surprise her by opening the door with a weapon ready. To search the place, skip to chapter 31. To surprise the woman, skip to chapter 32. Chapter 31. The concrete walls echo all sounds, so you are careful not to knock anything over. You find a box full of watches, all in various states of repair. Maybe she's just obsessed with watches, but that doesn't explain the mysterious hooded figure who keeps popping in and out. You find a map on the wall with pins in various places. Fisher's Bog, Gustavus, and Mulligan Cove are also circled on the map. None of those places ring a bell. You also see some pictures on the wall. The first is a group of people dated 1999. All the people are extremely well-dressed and varied in age, from ancient to your age. In fact, you think you recognize the youngest in the picture as the woman whose basement you've broken into. You match up the faces to the names listed at the bottom. You can't pronounce their first name, but the last name is Benedict. The picture is titled, Protectors of Power Semi-Annual Picnic. As you attempt to understand what that means, you hear a doorknob rattle. You must hide or fight now. To hide, skip to chapter 37. To fight, skip to chapter 38. Chapter 32 You look around and realize that nothing here looks like it can be used as a weapon, and you certainly don't remember your karate lessons from when you were nine years old. Instead, you think you can wedge the chair to jam the door from opening, giving you much more time to search the area for the watch. The concrete walls echo all sounds, so you're careful not to knock anything over. You find a box full of watches, all in various states of repair. Maybe she's just obsessed with watches? But that doesn't explain the mysterious hooded figure who keeps popping in and out. You find a map on the wall with pins in various places. Fisher's Bog, Gustavus, and Mulligan Cove are also circled on the map. None of those places ring a bell. You also see some pictures on the wall. The first is a group of people dated 1999. All the people are extremely well-dressed and varied in age, from ancient to your age. In fact, you think you recognize the youngest in the picture as the woman whose basement you've broken into. You match up the faces to the names listed at the bottom. You can't pronounce their first name, but the last name is Benedict. The picture is titled, Protectors of Power Semi-Annual Picnic. The doorknob rattles and you hear the door slam into the chair. What? The woman shouts from inside. Who's out there? You hear her struggle some more and then silence. I'll get you, she shouts. You notice the door is changing color going a pale gray, almost as if the wood is aging. Miss Benedict breaks down the door with no effort, and you are at her mercy. Oh, you're going to regret this, she says. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter one. Chapter 33 
All right, here's why I really want the watch. You explain your dream and what Norman told you. You hope that honesty is the best policy, and then Miss Benedict will see the importance of the watch. As you explain, her face doesn't change. She doesn't react as if this is new information. I'm surprised you caved so easily. Most of the others only gave me bits and pieces to go off of. Do you even understand what someone could do with this? She pulls the watch out of her pocket. Time is so precious, and we have never had it under our grasp. Even Einstein could only dream of light speed and how it would affect humans. With this watch, I could... She trails off. Well, I will reshape the history of the human race. You don't like what you're hearing. This woman is clearly insane, and you need to get that watch away from her at once. You move to stand. Ah, ah, ah. You will stay right there. I have not come this far to be stopped by the likes of you. She commands. You've got to think fast. What would Sam McChesterfield do? You've got to analyze the situation and figure out a weakness. In your present state, you can't fight the woman, but you can distract her. That might allow you to grab the watch. But how to distract her? You could keep her talking. She might lower her guard if she trusts you. Or you could throw your drink at her. She could drop the watch to defend herself. To keep Miss Benedict talking about her insane plans, skip to chapter 35. To throw your drink at Miss Benedict, skip to chapter 36. Chapter 34 Honestly, miss, I am just a real big fan of all the great shows on BBN. You force a smile and struggle to come up with show names. They've got Maestro Shark and, um, Bainbridge County? I've, uh, already got those watches. This will almost complete my set. Miss Benedict stares at you wordlessly. She then pulls the watch out of a pocket and dangles it before you. You look shocked and then you feel a sudden need to protect the watch. You will never have it, my dear, she says coldly. Now leave before I cause the authorities. You find yourself walking dejectedly back onto the sidewalk. You go to Norman to report your failure. You find him in his living room watching Contamana, a film by Norman's favorite director, Klaus Spreckles. I'm sorry, Norman, but it looks like she's going to keep the watch. You say, It's okay, kiddo. I know you did what you could. Now we can only wait and see. Hopefully everything will correct itself. Summer ends. You go back to school. Everything seems to have turned out okay. Until one day, everything goes wrong. Miss Benedict took her time. There were no screams. It was only fire and then nothing. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter one. Chapter 35 What do you mean, reshape human history? You try to sound genuinely intrigued. I'm not certain if you're fully aware of what this watch is. But let me explain it simply. For us, time is a concept. It is incorporeal. 
But for as long as time has existed, so has a vessel to hold time, to make time corporeal. I was born into a family that was taught this concept from childhood. Miss Benedict turns her back to you. You take this chance to pull out your phone and start recording everything she says. If she says anything incriminating, however crazy it might sound, you want to have proof. But you, you seem to have been chosen at the random. Miss Benedict turns back suddenly and you shove the phone in your pocket, still recording. My whole life's work is to search for an object such as this watch. Now I get to control them, in whatever capacities that means. I can't let you, as chosen as you are, take this away from me. If I can figure out how the watch works, how to command time as if it were my pet, then I can go back and make sure you were never born. Why would you go back in time and stop me from being born? You ask. So you wouldn't be bothering me now. As it stands, I'm going to have to find a way to get rid of you. I thought I could peacefully take that watch from the old man. It took me a year to track it here. Now I have to get my hands dirty yet again. I have had so many snooping wannabes that think they can best me. Each one of them has fallen at my hands, literally. It was so amusing to see those idiot law enforcement officers scratch their heads when they discovered the bodies, looking like they'd simply passed out and never got up again. But if that's the cost of creating the new world, then so be it. Miss Benedict then turns to you with a malicious grin. Whatever she was about to do next is interrupted by a knock at the door. Don't you dare move. Miss Benedict hisses at you as she goes to answer the door. You could use this time to escape out the back door, but if Miss Benedict catches you, it could be the end. Maybe you could wait and see who's at the door. To escape out the back way, skip to chapter 43. To wait and see who was knocking, skip to chapter 44. Chapter 36 You reach for your cup and raise it as if you're going to sip. Miss Benedict begins to speak and you toss the cup at her head. As you thought, she raises both hands to stop the cup and drops the watch. You dive for it and grab it. You slip it onto your wrist and Miss Benedict sees you. She reaches down to grab you and... nothing. She froze mid-stance. You look up and notice even the splattered drink is frozen mid-drop off her arm. Time is stopped. You get up off the ground and dust yourself off. Then you see the hooded figure over by the front door. She motions to you. You go to the front door and understand what she wants. She explains to you via telepathy that she is time, and she is tied to the watch. You are now her guardian, as Norman thought, and was in your dream. But now that Miss Benedict has seen you, you time explains, she will not stop, stop until you are dead, and the watch is hers. We can only resist her for so long, no. We? Yes, she has sought other objects with ties to us. Her whole life's work is in the basement. We must destroy it. Time is asking you to burn down the house to slow down Miss Benedict's evil quest. Burning down the house sounds pretty evil in itself. You're not certain that Sam Chesterfield would even burn down the house at Crockork. There must be another way. To sneak into the basement and start a fire. Skip to chapter 41. 
To think of another solution, skip to chapter 42. Chapter 37. You duck and scoot under a table. You see the woman walk around to the other side of the table and you hear her drop something on top of it. She turns and walks away from the table. You see she is approaching a collection of power tools. If I can't have the power, no one can. You hear her mumble. You reach your hand up to the table while her back is turned. You feel a watch there. You pull it down to look and see it is an old wristwatch with the BVN panda at the center, his arms pointing at the hours and minutes. Without hesitation, you put it on. When you blink, the woman disappears and the room is dark. You cautiously feel your way out from under the table and stand up in the room. You look at the watch, but notice one of the hands is loose, so it is worthless to tell time. You check your cell phone and see it is 11.42 p.m. Where did all the time go? It couldn't have been later than noon when you came down here. Before you can leave the basement, the hooded figure appears in front of you. Thank you. You hear the female voice in your mind. Uh, who are you? You ask. And how do you keep doing that? Without words, you receive your answer in the form of memories. You get the sense that this being is tied to the watch, and is the spirit of all time. Miss Benedict was going to use the watch for a nefarious purpose. Time did appear in your dream, to guide you and help you protect her. Now what? You ask out loud. You see in your mind's eye a small charm of an eye on a necklace. You understand it holds great power, similar to your watch. There are several items in the world that must be protected because of their ties to different powers. Miss Benedict has this necklace. You also see a small box, which holds a very specific compass. With both of these items, Miss Benedict will always seek out the rest. If you take one, perhaps she will give up on her quest. Search for the necklace, skip to chapter 39. To search for the compass, skip to chapter 40. Chapter 38 You stand up tall and grab the first object to your left. It's a handheld fan, old and made of paper. Probably not going to help you. Who are you? What are you doing here? Miss Benedict demands of you. You see she is holding the watch. Her other hand begins fiddling with her necklace. I'm just here for the watch. You must have stolen it, you claim. Stolen it? No, no. These dolts just sold it to me, completely unaware of its potential. You must know then, about what it can do, and what it truly is. She comes closer to you. Oh, stay back, you demand. You realize you're only holding a small paper fan, but you defensively wave it at her. Surprisingly, a large gust of wind comes from the fan, knocking Miss Benedict down and the watch falls from her hand. You take this moment to die for the watch. You have no idea what just happened, but you'll roll with it. Before you stand up, Miss Benedict grabs your arm. Why did it work for you? She screams. Why are you so special? 
As the grip tightens on your arm, you feel weaker and weaker. You feel your body going cold. You feel as if you'll never get up again. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter 1. Chapter 39 The necklace will either be on Miss Benedict or in her bedroom. It looks like you'll have to break into the main house to get it. On your way out of the basement, you notice she keeps a set of house keys by the door. You use the house key on the back door. Your eyes have now adjusted to the darkness and you are in the kitchen. You hope that if anything goes wrong, that time will be able to help you. All of the downstairs rooms are empty. You tread lightly up the stairs and approach the room. The door is slightly open and a light is visible. You peek in and see that Miss Benedict is in bed, but it has a nightlight. You see a small jewelry box and decide to check there first. You see many necklaces, but not the one with the symbol of an eye. She must be wearing it. You approach the bed, Miss Benedict is lying on her side, and you can just make out something around her neck. You get close enough to see the symbol and know it is the one. You then wonder if your new friend Time could maybe help out somehow. As if on command, you notice Miss Benedict's breathing has stopped. All of time has stopped. Simply because you needed it to. Not one to look a gift horse in the mouth, you grab the necklace and run. As soon as you are outside, time resumes. If you are lucky, Miss Benedict will never presume it was you who took the necklace or was in her basement that day. When you wake up the next morning, you remember the dream you just had. Time was telling you to send the necklace away from here. If too many objects of power are gathered, it will attract those who wish to do evil. You remember that you have an old pen pal who lives in Japan. Before you send him the necklace, you write to him online explaining the importance of it and a picture of it. When he writes back to you later, he says he loves it and that the eye is a symbol for Dodomeki, a demon with eyes on her arms. The next week, you see a small moving van in the street. Miss Benedict is indeed moving out. Hopefully, she'll never come back for the watch. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter 1. Chapter 40 This compass, as you understand it, is used to find other items of power. Although you get the feeling that it isn't an item of power, but was created using some other items of power. Either way, Miss Benedict is using it for the wrong reasons. You suspect that it might be in the lab somewhere. You begin by searching in easy to reach areas. If she's using the compass often, she'd want it somewhere handy. You turn up nothing but other useless trinkets and research equipment. You look in the side room that Miss Benedict was in earlier. There are several drawers and lockers, none of which are locked. These contain paperwork, clothing, and more trinkets. Then you spot it, a large safe in the back wall. You begin to wonder if the McRowleys had this safe or if Miss Benedict had it installed. It doesn't matter because you aren't a safe cracker or a mind reader. 
If only there was some way to find the combination to the lock. As you look at the spinning dial full of numbers, your vision clouds, and then you see a ghostly hand reach out and spin the dial. You're seeing the past. One of the many times that Miss Benedict opened the safe. There it is. 7 2399. You mimic the vision you just had, and the safe opens. Inside is the small wooden box housing a compass as well as some other valuables. You open the compass and see that it doesn't point to anything in the safe. It does point to your watch, however, and then somewhere else in the basement. You follow the pointer to a small hand fan made of paper. You decide to take it too, just in case. You return home and sleep through the night. The next morning, you remember the dream you had. Time wants you to send the hand fan away. It's dangerous to keep too many items of power together. Remember your pen pal from Japan. You send him a message online about the importance of protecting the hand fan. He seems to understand. The compass you are allowed to keep, in case there comes a time when you need it. It excites you to know that you are now a protector of power, and that you might have to spring into action sometime in the future. The next week, you see a small moving van on the street. It looks like Miss Benedict has given up and moved on. Or she's still pursuing the objects of power. Either way, you're ready for whatever is next. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 41 While time is still stopped, you grab the keys and rush to the basement. You find that it is indeed filled with all kinds of strange objects, paperwork, and maps. You look around and find a canister of gasoline and pour it all over the tables and floor. You stand at the top of the stairs, light a match, and toss it down. Time doesn't resume until you are safely in your house next door, and you hear a burst of flames. Even though you don't want Miss Benedict to succeed in taking the items of power, you don't want her to die either. You call 911 and report the fire. You look through your window to see Miss Benedict shouting in her front yard. The next few days go by quickly and in the next month Miss Benedict moves out of the neighborhood. Even though she isn't nearby anymore, you still feel that someday you will have to face her again. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter 1. Chapter 42 Well, if she has the other objects in her possession, why doesn't she use them? You ask Time. Not all of us are so willing to be used. Most of us will work with protectors of power. Very few will work with those who wish to misuse us. Time explains. Okay, so maybe she has some that will work for me. You say out loud. You grab the keys and head to the basement to search for something to help you. You find the room filled with boxes of knickknacks and common objects, any one of which could be useful or simply mundane. I can only stop everything for a little while longer, Time warns. Can't you tell me which objects have power? You ask. Only while you're holding it, Time responds. 
You hear a slam from upstairs. Everything is back to normal and you haven't figured out a way out of the situation. You could have given me a warning. You hiss at time. Who has disappeared? Where are you? Miss Benedict shouts. You can't stop me. Sam McChesterfield would never have gotten into a scrape like this. Sam always knows what the enemy's weakness is and how to take advantage of it. Of course, it helps that Sam is a fictional character, and the author makes sure an event early on will help Sam realize what to do later. In life, we have this, and you can't solve this. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Chapter 43 As soon as her hand is turning the doorknob, you're making tracks out the back way. Stop! Arrgh. She shouts, but can't catch you. You jump over the fence to your house next door. You can hear her clamoring to climb over but falling on the other side. You run through your house and back to the front again. There you see that Norman was the one who was knocking. He hurries over to where you are. Uh, do you have it? He asks. You shake your head. You both look back and see Miss Benedict look outside her door. She notices the crowd is still gathering, looking at items for sale. She can't do anything about you now. Did she do anything or say anything? Norman asks. You remember, you recorded her threats to you. That should be enough to get her at least investigated by the police. You and Norman head down to the police station to play the evidence. Several detectives are interested as they've had suspicious deaths where the victim passes out cold with no prior medical problems. That night, they pick her up and take her down to jail. After all the proceedings, Miss Benedict is found to be insane and will be held at an asylum outside of town. After she's gone, you find a strange package in the mail for you. It's the watch. Somehow it got sent to you even after it was part of police evidence. The next week, you have to go back to your dorm to prepare for the new semester. You make sure to let Norman know that you've got the watch and everything is going to be okay. Uh, you're the new guardian now. Keep it safe. You know, I think there are other items out there. Maybe you should try to find them too. The idea intrigues you, but that sounds like another adventure for another time. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter one. Chapter 44 When Miss Benedict opens the door, you hear Norman's voice on the other side. What have you done with the kid? Norman exclaims. In shock, you stand and run for the exit. I'm here! You shout. You see Miss Benedict reach out to grab Norman, and the next moment he's on the ground. You make it past them and shout for help in the street. A crowd gathers and Miss Benedict's door slams, with Norman collapsed on her front steps. You run to help him and he feels cold. The police and paramedics arrive to take statements. With the crowd, Miss Benedict couldn't leave her house without notice. When you talk to the police, you play them the recording you made of Miss Benedict threatening you. That's enough to arrest her. Later that day, you find out that Norman suffered some combination of a heart attack and hypothermia, which was strange because it wasn't even that cold. He's in a coma, 
but doctors thought his chances were good. You visit him in the hospital, and even though you're not certain he can hear you, thank him for saving your life. As you go to leave, Beverly stops you. Dear, I know this may seem strange, but Norman wanted you to have it. She hands you a small wristwatch with a panda at the center, its arms telling the time. He had it in his hands and was saying your name over and over. Maybe it'll make more sense when he wakes up. You think, Beverly, and slip the watch onto your wrist. You look at the watch, and the hands move, then stop, and go backwards. This path ends here. To pick another path, return to Chapter 1. Hello, and welcome to Benview on Spielberg. I'm your resident Spielberg apatheticist, Matt Benson. And I'm resident uh, Spielberg fanatic, Justin Keyson. And today we're going to talk about... Duel. The Sugarland Express. Jaws. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 1941. Raiders of the Lost E.T., the Extraterrestrial. Twilight Zone. Indiana Jones and the, the Temple of the Empire Indiana of the Jones Solid. and the Last Fuck Crusade. Jurassic Lost Hearts. World, Obviously. Saving uh, Private AI, Minority. Catch Michelle Intelligence. The Term of the Indiana Jones. Adventures of Sinton. Indiana Jones. Steven Spielberg. Ben on Spielberg. New episodes dropping on the 15th of every month at BenviewNetwork.com. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.